SBS, a world of difference. You're with NITV Radio, on mobile, online and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV Radio broadcasts from, the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation and their elders past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to, from the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from freshwater to saltwater. Yama, and welcome to NITV Radio. Coming up in your program this Friday, September 8, we'll be joined by uh, Ebra Bottini, Victoria Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Organization's Executive Director of Population Health. Ebra Bottini is joining us to talk about uh, the upcoming Elders Summit, an event that will commemorate and celebrate the role, the vital role that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander elders play as the heart and soul of their communities. And earlier this week, Aboriginal Australian activist and academic Marsha Langton made a rallying call of support for an Indigenous Voice to Parliament and the National Press Club. In the program today, we'll explore the significance of this call. On NITV Radio today, we also look back at celebrations of Indigenous Literacy Day in Western Sydney earlier this week. All these stories and more coming to you on NITV Radio after the latest news. Bertrand Tungandamengaya. I am Bertrand Tungandame. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy directed outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. Bulletin, yes, campaigners for an Indigenous voice to Parliament urge all Australians to enrol to vote as opposition leader reiterates calls for a no vote. Prime Minister Antonio Albanese accepts invitation from China's president to visit later this year. And NATO says it has no evidence that Russia deliberately detonated drones over Romania. Campaigners advocating for an Indigenous voice to Parliament have encouraged all Australians to enrol to vote. Acting Prime Minister Richard Miles joined Independent MP Kylie Tink at a train station in Sydney, while Greens leader Adam Bant with Assistant Health Minister Kate Carney have been campaigning in Melbourne. Yes, 23 campaign spokeswoman Chloe Waiten says over 35,000 volunteers will be out and about speaking to the public until the referendum on October 14. So if uh, you are one of those people who uh, may not have made up your mind yet or may need some more information, please come and talk to one of our volunteers, uh, engage with our campaign uh, and be a part of what will be a unifying moment for Australians. In the meantime, opposition leader Peter Dutton says Australians do not have enough information to be able to vote in the upcoming referendum. Mr Dutton on Sunday said he would call another referendum if the upcoming poll fails, one that would recognise Indigenous people but not enshrine an Indigenous voice to Parliament in the Constitution. 
Mr. Dutton has told 2GB important detail is lacking, which makes it difficult for voters to be able to make an informed choice. The Prime Minister and Noel Pearson and others have made a deliberate decision that they're not going to release the detail that I think millions of Australians have asked for and it doesn't seem to me that they're going to shift from that position, that they're not going to give the detail before the polling day on October 14. The Prime Minister has been clear that he'll give the detail after October 14. And you can find comprehensive information about the referendum visiting the SBS voice referendum portal WWS www.sbs.com.au voice slash voice referendum. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese is visiting the Philippines and will be meeting Filipino president the Filipino president today. Here is what to say ahead of the visit. Philippines is a critical nation uh, for Australia's interests. We have strong economic relations with the Philippines. We also have strong cooperation when it comes to defence arrangements. And in addition to that, of course, we have a a strong diaspora uh, in Australia. Prime Minister Antonio Albanese has accepted an invitation from, from Chinese President Xi Jinping to visit Beijing before the end of the year. Confirmation of the visit came during a meeting between the Prime Minister and China's second-in-command, Premier Li Qiang, on the sidelines of the East Asia Summit in Jakarta. This is what Mr Albanese had to say about the meeting. I was very pleased to meet with Premier Li today in the margins of the East Asia Summit. And I am encouraged by the progress we've made since I met President Xi in Bali last year. We had a frank and constructive discussion, welcomed progress and renewed engagement. I raised a range of bilateral and other issues, including impediments to trade between our two countries, consular cases, as well as human rights. Uh, I also confirmed uh, the invitation from President Xi uh, that I would accept uh, an invitation and will visit China uh, later this year uh, at a mutually agreeable time. The bilateral talks between the two leaders come as both countries seek to ease long-running diplomatic tensions and resolve trade blockages on billions of dollars worth of Australian goods. And uh, this comes as Foreign Minister Penny Wong has appealed for Australians detained in China to be released to their families. In an interview with SBS News at the ASEAN conference in Jakarta, Ms Wong also called for China to follow a 2016 tribunal decision in relation to its controversial claims to the South China Sea. Australian citizens currently detained in China after accusations of supplying state secrets overseas include Australian journalist Cheng Lei and writer Yang Heng Jun, while three other Australians await capital punishment in the country. Ms Wong called for the end of Ms Chung and Dr Yang's detention but stopped short of saying Prime Ministerial visit would be subject to their release. I don't think it's a, it's a smart thing in international relations to establish hard preconditions publicly. What I would say is this. Uh, in relation to Ms Cheng Lei and Dr Young, uh, we remain concerned about their ongoing uh, detention. We have put our view very clearly on behalf of the Australian people that we would like to see Ms Cheng Lei and Dr Young reunited with their families. 
Transport Minister Catherine King has brought into question Prime Minister Anthony Albanese's claim he was unaware of the blocking of Qatar Airways during his July 13 phone call with Virgin boss Jane Hadricker. Ms. King repeatedly refused to tell Parliament when she informed the Prime Minister of her July 10 decision, only saying it was before the media first reported it on July 18. The answer leaves open the possibility Mr. Albanese or his office were told of the Qatar decision in the three days before his conversation with Mr. Ms. Hildekar, despite his insistence to the contrary. Agriculture Minister Murray Watt told Sky News he believed the Prime Minister wasn't aware of Ms. King's decision. Well, that's what he's told the parliament, and I've got no reason to think anything anything different. I mean, what he has said is that he he did speak to the CEO of Virgin on July the thirteenth, um, and that and Catherine has made has advised that he was aware of this decision before, or his office was aware of the decision before she made it public on the eighteenth of July. I don't think that those dates necessarily mean that there's some vast conspiracy here. So I, I absolutely back him. Overseas, NATO has said it has no indication that drone debris found on Romanian territory was caused by a deliberate Russian attack on Romania. Secretary-General Jens Stoltenberg responded to claims made by Ukraine that drones had been detonated in Romania on Monday, September 4, during an overnight airstrike on a Ukrainian port across the Danube River. Romania, which is a member of the NATO, of NATO, initially denied the Ukrainian allegations but later changed course on Wednesday with its defense ministry saying that parts of what could be a Russian drone had fallen on Romanian soil. Mr. Stoltenberg says that while it awaits the full outcome of an investigation into the debris, NATO has increased its presence on the borders of its Eastern European partners in response to increasing Russian military activity. What we have seen, of course, is uh, a lot of fighting and, uh, and also air attacks close to NATO borders. And we also had other incidents uh, in Poland and, and, and elsewhere. And therefore, uh, we have uh, increased our vigilance. We are closely monitoring what's going on um, uh, close to our borders. And we have also uh, increased our presence uh, in the eastern part of the uh, alliance. Gabon's new military leader say its ousted president, who has been under house arrest since he was deposed last week, is now free to travel. A spokesman for Gabon's military transition committee has said on state television that President Ali Bongo is now free to leave his home and travel overseas to undergo medical checks. The state of the health of the president, who suffered a stroke in late, in late 2018, that prevented him from carrying out his duties for several months is unclear. And to sport in football, the Socceroos have begun their training sessions on U.S. soil ahead of next Monday's friendly match against Mexico in Dallas. Graham Arnold is not facing any injury issues and should have all his players at his disposal ahead of the game, which will serve as a great test for the 2024 Asian Cup and the 2026 World Cup qualifiers. The Socceroos coach has called up several new faces to the team, such as Sam Silvera, Cameron Bajes and Ashley Maynard Brewer. Silvera says he's looking forward to the Mexican challenge. Yeah, it's exciting. It's really exciting against a, a top team as well that um, have a lot of great players and that have had a lot of success. But um, again, the focus is here and we, um, I'm going to learn from the players that have been here. And uh, I mean, continuing on from the amazing uh, 
a um, couple of games I had at the World Cup and uh, just want to continue that and hopefully add some more to that to this team and then we'll go to Mexico and hopefully we'll, we'll go for the win. And having a look at the weather this Friday, Brome, sunny 36, Perth, mostly sunny 25, Adelaide, showers 14, Melbourne, showers and windy 12 degrees, Hobart, a shower 217, Albury, Wodonga, showers 11, Canberra, similar conditions 12, Wollongong, showers then sunny 20 degrees, Sydney, showers and mostly sunny 22, Newcastle, showers clearing 23, Brisbane, a shower 227, Townsville, mostly cloudy 28, Keynes, similar conditions 30, Alice Springs, sunny 21, Darwin, mostly sunny 33, and the Torres Strait Islands, a mostly cloudy day and a top of 29 degrees. And that is NITV Radio News. TV Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online. I'm joined by Ebra Putini, Victorian Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Organisation's Executive Director of Population Health. Abe is joining us ahead of uh, Virtuous Upcoming Elder Summit. Welcome to NITV Radio, Abe. Thanks, Bertrand. It's good to be here. Yeah, now, this summit, I believe, it's uh, the first of its kind uh, organised by Virtual. That's right, yeah. And uh, we thought it was important, especially at the moment, given everything that's happening in the media, there's a lot of things that have the potential to get us down, uh, to put something in the calendar that's overwhelmingly positive. So we've scheduled uh, a summit for the 3rd and the 4th of October. It's going to be in Melbourne, and uh, we're bringing together elders from across the state, Aboriginal elders who have dedicated their lives to community service, and we'll be hearing from them about um, the changes that they've witnessed throughout their lives and their aspirations for the future of um, their communities uh, and uh, the quality of life that um, we need to ensure we maintain for all of our elders, both those elders that we have right now and our emerging elders as well. Considering the wide scope of uh, this summit, have other organisations come along uh, in organising this uh, summit or it's an exclusively virtual event? So Vacho has had a long involvement with the Victorian Committee for Aged Care and Disability, um, which is a a committee that advises us on uh, the needs of elders and also people with disability across Victoria. Uh, So we are working in partnership with with that committee. They're really guiding us in the development of the summit. Yeah, it is the first time that we have done something like this and we're we're really happy to be uh, working alongside that committee. So the organisers, the organisations, delegates, participants will all come together not only to celebrate elders but also to look at the well-being of the elders. That's right, yeah. So our elders will make it clear to us in um, talking about, you know, what they currently experience, um, really what the expectation is for all aged care services to be able to provide culturally safe uh, aged care services that really protect the uh, the dignity and the quality of life of, of those elders. So I'm looking forward to hearing from them about that. Um, but I'm also just looking forward to hearing from them generally about their experiences in life, having raised families, you know, uh, being able to, um, to see the changes that have happened in community, 
um, hopefully, you know, a number of positive changes. But we, we do also need to hear their wisdom about some of the changes that they're not happy about. Um, and we need to be put on notice about, you know, what they expect for us to be doing in terms of work to address some of those issues. Can you tell us about some of the keynote uh, speakers at the event or some of the most anticipated guests? Yeah, for sure. So we will have uh, appearances um, either as keynote speakers or as guest panelists from um, some really well-known Aboriginal elders. So, for example, Ani Esme Bamblett and Uncle Rodney Carter, who are the elected elders' voice on the First Peoples' Assembly, in Victoria, they're going to be coming to um, to um, have a discussion with us. Um, there's also Uncle Alan Thorpe, who's um, you know the CEO of Dadi Mawaro, and he's um, really spent his life working um, to create pathways to healing, especially for Aboriginal men. Um, he was named this year's um, Victorian Male uh, NADOC Elder of the Year, um, and we also will be having you know appearances from Ani Jill Gallagher, who's our uh, CEO at Vacho and was the um, the Treaty Advancement Commissioner uh, for Victoria. She really got the road to treaty started, and uh, and Ani Pat Anderson as well, who's a really well known national and international uh, internationally known elder um, from the territory, who um, uh, was the co-chair of the Uluru Dialogues and is um, you know currently working. Um, on the referendum working group, so there's there's a number of elders who are who have just you know spent their lives really leading their communities, and um, and so we're looking forward to hearing from them. Uh, I, I should clarify as well, it's yeah. not um, it's not a summit for elders exclusively. We want elders to feel that they can come, and there's no cost for elders to come. But we also want people who need to hear from those elders to come as well. So that can be anyone from anywhere in community. Um, and it can be, you know, our workers in the achos, um, but it can also be people who are working in mainstream spaces as well, people working in government, um, or really anyone who's just interested in coming along and uh, spending some time listening to what these Aboriginal elders have to say. Yeah, you just mentioned that uh, one of the elders uh, who is anticipated to take part in the event is an IDOC uh, Week Award recipient and I gather the event is also inspired by this year's NIDOC Week uh, theme which was uh, for our elders uh, maybe one of uh, the things I should have uh, asked at the beginning is uh, what's the theme of uh, the Elders Summit so the overall theme for this year is for our elders that's right and it's the NIDOC theme and so it was really an honour of that that we also thought that it was important to have a summit this month of all months. You know, there's a lot, um, a lot of reasons that we need to, you know, bring community together to hear from the wisdom of elders. Um, and so um, that that's, you know, in honour of the NADOC theme. The the summit itself has uh, two themes. So it's running over two days. The day one theme is just to listen. And so on day one, we're hearing exclusively from Aboriginal elders. Um, so all of the speeches, um, keynotes, you know, the, and the panel discussions on day one will be made up entirely of um, some incredible Aboriginal elders, um, some of whom, you know, I, I mentioned before. And then on day two, um, we're going to be hearing um, uh, from other people about the theme of respect. So it's still predominantly elders that will be speaking on day two, but it's also people who are the leaders of services as well. 
um, and you know young ones including um, uh, representatives from government who are going to be talking about the aspirations for quality of life of elders and for aged care services through the Aged Care Royal Commission, which has been happening for the last couple of years. So the theme one for day uh, theme for day one is is listening, and the theme for day two is respect. So a day to celebrate uh, elders. And I know this coming weekend is another event uh, happening uh, and organized by Vacho in which elders will actually play a vital role as well. Can you tell us a word or two about uh, the event uh, happening this weekend in Melbourne? That's right. So this Sunday uh, at 10 a.m., we're all going to be meeting at the Aboriginal Advancement League in Thornbury. Um, and uh, it's going to be uh, the launch of um, the Yes campaign for the referendum in Victoria and bringing together all of the leaders from across um, Aboriginal organisations in Metro Melbourne who are um, in support of voting yes in this year's referendum. Um, so if, you, if you're keen to come along and join us there, we'll be at the, um, at the Aboriginal Advancement League in, uh, in Thornbury from 10am on Sunday. And uh, we're also really, really happy for people to come along and have some yarns if they're not sure yet. Um, if they um, if they want to speak to some of those leaders about the reasons why they're voting yes, um, you're more than welcome to come down and have some yarn. Yeah, and elders will also be there and playing a vital role as uh, they uh, have been helping shape the narrative as well. That's correct. That's right. And uh, that was uh, thank you very uh, much for taking the time to talk to us on NITV Radio today about uh, the upcoming uh, Elders Summit organized by uh, Vacho. Thank you. Ebra Potini. I caught up with Ebra Potini shortly before the program. This conversation will be published on our website uh, shortly after the program as well. Now we must step aside, but uh, stay with us because when we come back, we look at uh, Marsha Langton's uh, address at the press club where she called for voters to vote yes in the upcoming Indigenous Voice to Parliament referendum. Also in the program today, we look back at celebrations of Indigenous Literacy Day in Western Sydney earlier this week. Stay tuned for these stories coming up shortly after this short break. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. Aboriginal Australian activist and academic Marsha Langton has made a running call of support for an Indigenous Voice to Parliament at the National Press Club. This comes as First Nations mental health advocates call for politicians to pledge to engage in a more respectful referendum debate. Katrina Stirrat reports. Vote yes so that we thrive, not just survive, as peoples, the first peoples. Thank you. Those were the words of Aboriginal Australian activist and academic Professor Marsha Langton, who declared a rallying call of support for an Indigenous voice to Parliament at National Press Club. Professor Langton says the voice is the minimum proposition the government could make to allow Indigenous Australians to make decisions about issues that directly affect them. The referendum question links two propositions. Recognition of Indigenous Australians through entrenching in the Constitution or enshrining in the Constitution a mechanism, a voice to make representations on matters relating to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, to the Parliament and to the Executive Government, 
Its composition, functions, powers and procedures will be legislated by the Parliament. This proposition is the barest measure imaginable that would give Indigenous Australians a formal say in policies and legislation that affect us. Professor Langton, alongside Aboriginal Elder and Professor Tom Karma, chaired the Senior Advisory Group from 2019 to 2021 of the Voice Co-Design Project. She explains how the report consulted with more than 10,000 Australians in more than 160 communities and towns and proposed to close the gap between politicians and government departments that make policy and local communities. The referendum proposal is not about giving some people a greater say than others based on their race. There is no presumption of a singular Indigenous point of view. And we are certainly not arguing that the discredited pseudoscience of racial difference should play any role in our liberal democracy. Instead, by acknowledging our diverse histories, cultures, stories, experiences and challenges, we can begin to work more effectively together to ensure that First Australians thrive, not survive. Professor Langton added that their report proposed a two-part framework, ensuring that along with the national voice, each local and regional voice would comprise a broad range of Indigenous people, family groups, community organisations and other stakeholders. She pointed to past failed government initiatives to make decisions for Indigenous Australian people, such as the 2007 government decision to send the Australian Defence Force into Aboriginal communes in the Northern Territory under the guise of protecting Aboriginal children from sexual abuse, suspending the Racial Discrimination Act and assuming control of the land in these communities. These arrangements would be designed and led by communities according to local context, history and culture in a way that is consistent with the principles of self-determination and other principles we set out, nine in total. Different regions have different priorities. Importantly, we recommended that local and regional voices would not displace or undermine bodies with existing statutory roles or specific functions, but provide links for involvement. Meanwhile, advocates for Indigenous mental health are calling for a civil debate and discussion around the Voice to Parliament referendum. A group of mental health organisations, including the Australian Indigenous Psychological Association and Black Dog Institute, are calling on politicians to sign a respectful referendum pledge. The pledge is a set of principles to encourage more civil and inclusive conversations about the Indigenous Voice to Parliament that aim to reduce social and emotional harms ahead of the referendum on October 14. Dr Clinton Schilt is a proud Gamilaroi Gomoroi man and Director of First Nations Partnership and Strategy at the Black Dog Institute. He says grassroots interactions with First Nations people have found a direct correlation between the referendum debate and the deteriorating mental health of First Nations peoples. What we're already hearing of and witnessing, I'm a psychologist by profession, Mm. is increased psychological distress and significant levels of that being experienced and reported by First Nations peoples that they are um, suggesting is being driven by the referendum and the constant discussions around it. Dr Schultz said politicians have a responsibility to be respectful leaders in this debate. I think we can have this discussion in a more respectful way by being more inclusive of the diversity Mm. of First Nations voices that exist out there, Mm. by being more strength focused in the way that we have these discussions and really just being mindful of 
our words and the impact that those words can actually have. So for politicians, they have great influence and great opportunity to have influence over the general public. So we're just asking that they are more mindful of their words and how they can be use those words in a way that is more likely to negate the negative impacts on our social emotional well-being as First Nations peoples. Professor Langton condemned the vitriol and abuse that has characterised parts of the referendum campaign. She became emotional as she spoke to fears of an ongoing cycle of abuse and inaction in public debate and progress if the referendum results in a no outcome. I think our generation of leaders will hand over to younger leaders um, and they too then will become targets like Adam Goods, like Stan Grant, and the cycle will continue. And in this regard, I think the media has a responsibility to lift their game in reporting on these issues and not participate in pylons on persons who are good and decent people. This comes amid criticism from some shareholders who are questioning the decision of numerous large corporations to fund the Yes campaign for an Indigenous voice to Parliament. Australian Shareholders Association Chief Executive Rachel Waterhouse told nine newspapers that 120 retail investor representatives would use upcoming meetings with company chairs to seek explanations on how voice donations align with the firm's core strategies and purpose. Treasurer Jim Chalmers flatly denied that campaign funding was a conflict of interest when asked about the reports in Canberra's Parliament corridors. I mean, on what planet uh, should Australians not have a view about constitutional recognition so that we can listen to people and get better outcomes? You know, I find that uh, really quite extraordinary uh, that uh, some people uh, want to limit the opportunity Uh, for people to make their views known. This is a really important opportunity for Australia. This is a generational opportunity and we want everyone to think about it and participate in it and grapple with it. Uh, And ideally we get to a great outcome here which is constitutional recognition and better outcomes which come from better listening. There is also controversy around the Liberal Party's No Campaign pamphlet which has a QR code that directs would-be voters to a party website to harvest their personal information. The Australian Electoral Commission has labelled the move potentially misleading. Liberal Senate leader Simon Birmingham told ABC Radio he was unaware of the pamphlet. I haven't actually seen those stories nor the pamphlet you're talking about, but uh, but of course uh, all parties should operate in accordance with the electoral laws. Uh, there are entitlements in relation to uh, to being able to uh, collect and keep data, but that should, uh, that should occur uh, within any processes. If there's been a process breach, that should be addressed. Well, I'll go and have a look at the story you've raised now that, uh, now that you've mentioned it. Katrina Sterrett, SBS News. NITV Radio. Share our stories on Facebook. Also this week, we saw a national celebration of First Nations language and culture on Indigenous Literacy Day, which was on Wednesday the 6th. And uh, this day was marked with a special performance of song, dance and storytelling on Gadigal land in Sydney. Ruth McHugh Dillon has more. How long you more been here for? Three days. Three days. Three days. No, we've been three days. Sunday. Three days. So when are you just going home now? Friday. 
That's the sound of excited school students on the excursion of a lifetime visiting Sydney. They're a long way from home, a remote community of around 300 residents in the Roper Gulf region of the Northern Territory called Barunga. For the eight primary school students, aged between 11 and 12, the sights and sounds of Sydney are a new experience. But they're not just here as tourists. These young Indigenous students have created something very special to share. They have recently become authors of a book called Shorty Creek, written in their local language Creole as well as English, and they've put the story to music. They'll be singing this song to a live audience of around 100 people at one of Australia's most iconic venues, the Sydney Opera House. But the actual size of their audience is much bigger and stretches across the continent, with around 300,000 people expected to tune in to a live stream from their local schools, libraries and other venues. Their audience may be vast, but the story they've written sticks close to home. Shorty Creek tells about their experiences exploring local waterways in Barunga. The book was published as part of an initiative by the Indigenous Literacy Foundation, a charity working in remote Indigenous communities across Australia. Their programs aim to get a greater supply of books out and into communities and empower First Nations people to publish their own stories in their own languages. For the past two years, Wiradjuri man Ben Bowen has been the CEO of the Indigenous Literacy Foundation. He says it's a special day for communities connected across the country, despite the distance. It's all about accessibility for us. It's, you know, the communities that we work in, 426 of them, are remote. Um, We can't get them all down to Sydney to do these things. So for us to host something down here on Wongulg, Miora country, it's, it's really important for us to be able to share that story back and bring those stories back to homelands as well so that they're all connected to the work that all of the communities are working on as well. This year, the Foundation is celebrating 12 years of its annual Indigenous Literacy Day. It's a chance to highlight the work they do in communities and recognise its impact. Renowned photographer, author and Palawa man, Wayne Quilliam, is one of their ambassadors. He's been a passionate advocate for almost 20 years. So important to me in the role that I am as a storyteller myself, using different mediums, is to, is to, to work with our kids in rural remote areas to show them that there's no limit to what we can do. Our culture is important, but most importantly is to bring it into the modern world through literature and to share it with other communities. Because in the past we were sort of restricted in a way with boundaries because of you know, the lack of technology, whereas now... You know, the kids can create their own narrative, they can create their own stories, they can then share them. You know, so kids in Wreck Bay in New South Wales, where the kids here in Barunga, those stories now transcend all physical boundaries and it's just the passion that I see when we're out there on community is just, it's empowering. For the eight Barunga kids, having their stories published in print has been a step towards better learning outcomes in school. Wayne Quilliam says the results come from the particular way the Indigenous Literacy Foundation engages with communities. What I love about ILF is that they empower people. They don't go in with a direct narrative. They don't go in with, this is how it's got to be done. They go in and listen to community. They sit down with the community. They engage with community. And when they engage with the community, the community then own it. 
Barunga School Principal Malcolm Hales says access to bilingual resources also strengthens the kids' skills and sense of belonging. Well, I think it's important really um, that to have the language coincide with the English because it then is giving that link between the past and the present and hopefully that link stays into the future, that they can still have their language while they're also learning to read and write in English. In music, writing and across different languages, these kids are making their life in a small community come alive for people across the country. Ruth McHugh-Dillon, SBS News. Your community, your conversation. NITV Radio. Yeah, before our next story, I must mention a few exciting movies that will uh, premiere on uh, NITV and SBS uh, in the coming weeks, uh, starting from tomorrow, actually. Keeping Hope will premiere on NITV tomorrow, the 10th of September at 8.30 p.m. and will encore on SBS on the 13th of September. The second film is uh, You Can Go Now, which will premiere on the 24th on uh, SBS and NITV on the 24th of September at 8.30 p.m. The third movie is Rebel with a Cause, which will premiere on the 1st of October at 9 p.m. and will be airing for a four week, across four weeks. Time for a break, and actually when we come back, we hear from the director of Rebel with a Cause. Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio. I'm joined by uh, Doug Watkin, director of uh, Rebel with a Cause, a four-part series that's premiering at uh, the Melbourne International Film Festival. Welcome to NITV Radio, Doug. It's good to be here. Thank you. Now, Doug, uh, Rebel with a Cause uh, was co-commissioned by NITV, and it's just premiered at uh, ACME, the Australian Centre for the Moving Image, in the context of the 2023 Melbourne International Film Festival. Now, can you tell us about uh, how this uh, four-part series, uh, Rebel with a Cause, uh, came about. Okay, so I was approached by Dino um, originally uh, to be one of the directors of, um, you know, for the Neville Bonner story, and um, it was a very huge undertaking. It was very complex as well, because, you know, Neville Bonner was a complex character or whatever like that, very polarising. However, I just found it um, fascinating, and it was also, I guess, a, a challenge as well, because, you know, you know, having passed, like, you know, nearly over 25 years ago now, so, yeah, so we had to really dig in and how would you say, you know, I, I wanted to make the story like Neville, he, you know, as a trailblazer, he was just rolling through, you know, and the whole movie plays out like almost like a road movie. <laughs> that makes sense, you know, because he was always on the road or whatever. Yeah, and this was uh, depicted very, very brilliantly in the movie because uh, Neville Bonner was not uh, a one-dimensional character and this uh, was really, really powerfully portrayed in the movie. Yeah, that's what I mean, like showing uh, a different slant or a different side of the story of particular character. I guess for Neville, I mean, look, when you do a biopic or you approach a biopic like this, you know, I, I guess it's sometimes impossible because, like, you're only taking a sliver, you know, regardless of whether you have, like, a, an hour or, or two hours to tell that story. And I guess um, with the Neville Bonner um, story is quite uh, unique in a way because, you know, having uh, been the first Indigenous politician, you know, back in 1951, 50 years ago, to get into Parliament House, um, and his voice still echoes to this day. 
As you said, Neville passed away almost 25 years ago, but being a public figure, there would be a lot of uh, archives about his public life and uh, his accomplishments. And you also consulted with his family to really portray his, uh, you know, provide a profile that's as accurate as possible. How difficult was it actually getting all this uh, content or these archives? How difficult was it accessing the archives and then synthesizing everything to make it into a four-minute episode, forty-minute episode? Yeah, I mean there was so much because, as you know, um, Neville Bonner was always in the public eye. Yeah, he was always in the media. You know, so yeah, so um, going through that, I guess, was quite challenging, and I. For us, we were just looking at, you know, what are the story threads, you know, what were, who was Neville Bonner or whatever, like, and how do you tell that story? And I guess, um, you know, his, uh, the story that we went through, it's, it's a bit like a hero's journey, you know, the rise and, you know, and the fall and then the comeback again. You know, like that. So, yeah, so it's a bit like, you know, we took some of those um, cues, or, or I took some of those cues anyway, um, in telling a, a compelling story. Um, about, uh, you know, uh, uh, an Indigenous person that made a significant change um, in the course of history. Yeah, definitely a change maker, but you're also making a great change and uh, really breaking some new ground with this movie that uh, really depicts the life, the battles that were untold previously or unknown, and you bring this story to, to the masses. It's also an exercise in truth-telling. Yeah, definitely. I mean, because, you know, like what's happening in politics, you know, I guess, you know, today, you know, with having a voice in Parliament and, you know, even it still resonates today. You know what I mean? What Neville Bonner was actually trying to set up back then, you know, it still echoes through. A lot of people don't know that side of Neville, you know what I mean, like that, you know, as far as like, you know, uh, the formation or, you know, the, the building blocks of, you know, the, the uh, uh, lands right legislation, um, how he were putting things into practice or even even said at the towards the very end how, you know, we, we need to have an Indigenous voice in Parliament. And that was um, years back when this wasn't even uh, thought about. It wasn't even thought about, yeah. He was trailblazing. I mean, that that, that interview was like, yeah, from the 1990s. I mean, like, it was, it's it's kind of eerie. It's kind of freaky. But I guess for me, I just wanted to uh, not make Neville Bonner uh, a reflective voice, but more of an active voice, you know, like bring him back to life as if he's here today. You know, like that's it. Because a lot of the things he was saying, um, you know, uh, yeah, it just, it, it, it resonates, it, it touches. And um, I, I guess for me, um, as an Indigenous filmmaker, we're able to put our own stamp. We're able to put our own, you know, narrative to some of these stories of how we were being portrayed back then, you know, by mainly a non-Indigenous camera lens, if that made sense. And now we have a black camera lens on our, our, on our own story, so we can take back the narrative. Now, Rebu the Cause just uh, premiered at uh, the Melbourne International Film Festival this week. And it will also feature on NITV. Yes, definitely. So the premiere is happening at MIF. Um, however, it's going to have its own premiere on NITV very shortly. Now, before I let you go, any closing thoughts or maybe a final word or something we may not have, may, may not have covered you'd like to bring to the attention of our listeners? Yeah, um... I would say now, um, go and watch the series. <laughs> that all four episodes of prominent, you know, like um, Black Fellas, um, that have, how would you say, moulded, changed. And also, I would say that, you know, it's still relevant today, as it was, you know. And I think these histories need to be told, you know. Um, shall never be forgotten. And I think us as... Um, Black Fellas now, it's, it's, a, 
in the middle of a, a new exciting trend or change, um, you know, in our politics, in our society, and um, and for us to move forward, um, we can learn from this. Doug Watkin, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us on ITV Radio. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you. NITV Radio, share our stories on Facebook. And uh, that's all from uh, NITV Radio today. I'm Bertrand Tungendame, thanking you for staying with us uh, this uh, Friday afternoon. We'll be back next week on Monday and Wednesday with more stories from uh, right across uh, the country. Wish you also a very beautiful weekend. Till next time, bye for now. Yellow.